Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll continue our series in Philippians today. We'll begin reading in verse 19, and we'll read through verse 26. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 19. Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. I've titled the message today, One Great Testimony. It is one of the most powerful things that we possess as a Christian, our testimony. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Our testimony is because of the power of the gospel that leads to salvation. And because we have that power, we have a powerful story to share, and we should be sharing that story regularly. And I will say, I'll be the first to raise my hand, I have failed many times to share my testimony. Many times, too many to count. We could all sit here and beat ourselves up. That's not the point of the sermon today is just to beat ourselves up. I think it is good to look back and maybe look at some missed opportunities, but let's look at what's before us and how we're going to move from here forward. Our testimony is so powerful. I was in a place of business recently, and when I left, actually before I left, I wanted to weep because the gentleman running the business told me that there have been Christians from evangelical churches who have come in to do business with him, and they were upset about something that wasn't done properly in their minds, and they gave him the finger. And he said, these are evangelical Christians from evangelical churches, and I just wanted to weep. I'm like, what kind of testimony is that? That is not what Paul did in prison. If he had, he wouldn't have led people to Christ. And every one of us has been given a platform to share our testimony. Various platforms that God has given us. The Apostle Paul had a platform in prison to share his testimony. And had he failed in that mission, people would have been lost. So we have that platform as well. God has given, what is your platform that God has given you? Where has he placed you so that you can use your testimony, the place of business you have, the people you work with, your neighbors around you, people you meet in the marketplace, 
that God wants to use our testimony, your personal testimony, and then we think about the corporate body of Christ and the great testimony of Bethesda Church, a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church, the testimony in this community should be those people are sharing the gospel, making Christ known. Our testimony is so important that it actually has impact after we die. There's not many things that have impact after we die, but that is one thing that can have impact after we die. Look at this verse. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How does that happen? The testimony of how he lived his life. That's how it happens. What does that say about our lives? It's saying that what we do is going to live beyond us. How we conduct ourselves. We are going to be in someone's story. My name will be in someone's story. And what's it going to say about my name? More importantly, it's not my name, but what does it say about God's name? when they talk about me or when they talk about you because you're going to be in a story as well. Not only do we see this in the life of Abel, but we see in the life of Enoch as well. His testimony had great impact to the fact that his testimony pleased God. Look in Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This should be the goal and the passion and the desire of every child of God that my testimony is pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. I live for an audience of one. The Latin root for testimony is testis, which means witness. Telling what you saw or know as to the truth of a matter. Another internet dictionary says, and it's more of a, in a court of law, a declaration or statement made under oath or affirmation by a witness in a court, often in response to questioning to establish a fact. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, was housed in the Ark of the Covenant, which was called the Ark of testimony. It housed God's testimony. And I think about us. We house the testimony of God in our lives. And we have a stewardship to share that testimony with the world. How are we doing that? Well, today we're going to look at five. I don't know if we'll get to all five, but I have five keys to sharing our great testimony. The first one we want to look at is our great helper. We have one great helper, the Holy Spirit, to help us in sharing our testimony. Notice what he says in verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which would be the Holy Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The testimony and the power of Jesus Christ. The first thing we see here is the Philippians' prayer support, though, for their pastor. 
The Philippians are praying for their pastor who founded their church. How are they praying for him? Well, they're praying for him out of heart of love. They love their pastor. Do you love your pastors? Did you pray for your pastors? Because we need it. I think about people that have gone to heaven now who are no longer sitting in the pews who were prayer warriors who prayed for the pastors. Donnie's mom, Vic Schneider, other people that we could mention, many people that have pray, who were prayer warriors in the church who prayed and loved their pastor, and it made a difference. And now there's a gap. And who's going to fill that gap to pray for their pastor? And I, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, and I would mention again, how can you pray for me? You pray that my love for God would grow. We should be praying for each other that our love for God would grow because it's out of our love for God that we're going to develop a, a passion and a compassion for people, for other people who are lost. The reason we don't have a passion for people is because we've lost our passion for God. That's what I believe. Andrew Brunson, some of you will remember that name. He was a Christian pastor from North Carolina. He spent 20 years in Turkey. He had a quiet but deep ministry there until 2016 when after a failed military coup, the government arrested him along with journalists, activists, military officers, and others. The Turkish government labeled Brunson a spy, which was a false accusation against him. Brunson was held for more than a year without charges. He spent nearly two years in prison, often enduring long trial sessions. At one point, it looked like he could even spend years or decades in this Turkish prison. Finally, after pressure from the Trump administration, Brunson was released from prison and returned to the United States. And back in the spring, he addressed the student body at Wheaton College. And he said he did not feel God's overwhelming presence during his stay in prison. That's quite a testimony. Instead, he said he experienced something even deeper. Brunson said, after a few days in prison, I completely lost the sense of God's presence. God was silent, and he remained silent for two years. Have you ever felt the silence of God for two years? That's serious. I think about the Apostle Paul in prison. Was he, was he feeling the presence of God in the midst of what he was in? Because so many people died in prison. They had rats. They were rat-infested places. They were cold, dark, damp places. Most people wanted to die instead of live in those prisons. He said when he was finally brought to trial, things were even worse. He said there are some who go into the valley of testing and some don't make it out. He said, I was broken. I lay there alone in my solitary cell. I had great fear, terrible grief, and I was weeping. And a thought kept going through my mind, where are you, God? Why are you so far away? And he said, I opened my mouth, and as I wept aloud, he said, I was surprised at what started coming out of my mouth. He said, I heard, listen, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. 
He said, I thought, here is my victory. Even if you're silent, I love you. Even if you let my enemy harm me, I love you. What a testimony. And that's why I want you to pray that for me. Because when you go through things, it's the love that we have for God that's going to carry us through. And that's what carried the Apostle Paul through. It was the prayers of his people for their pastor that carried him through. A pastor relies on the prayers of God's people. Their prayers for Paul, I believe, resulted in Paul's positive perspective in prison. Paul was facing a terrible injustice. Being in prison, even though he did not break the law, yet even in his injustice, he saw the working of God in his situation, as we looked at last week, as intentional and providential. The courage and witness Paul displayed in a difficult place resulted in changed lives and transformed families and marriages because of Paul's testimony. We don't get to see all that in Scripture, but we know that when a life is changed, it changes a family, it changes a household, it changes a marriage, it changes a community because of Paul's witness. Not only prayer helps, but the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is adequate to help us in our situation. He is not weak or impotent. He is not ignorant about our needs or circumstances. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Holy Spirit was given to be our comforter. That's what the Scripture says. What do you need in a prison where it feels hopeless, you feel helpless, death is staring you in the face? You need comfort. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. We have some farmers going through some difficult days. Difficult days. Difficult year. What do you need right now? Comfort. Where are you going to get it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit promises to give us comfort, to come alongside of us, to give us that. Here's what it says in John 14, 6. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. A helper, a comforter, an advocate. Comfort is a great encouragement when we're facing a painful trial, is it not? When you're going through a painful time, what you need is comfort. Some people might turn to food. Some people might turn to a drug. Some people might turn to something else. Let me encourage you to turn to the Holy Spirit who wants to bring comfort to your heart and comfort to my heart. This happens, this comfort happens when we share with the Lord our needs and he comes to our aid to meet that need. Prayer is a source of comfort. And it's a source of comfort when I hear people praying for me. Don't, don't do that to you as well. Here's how we can remember to pray for one another too. Maybe you're not a farmer. Maybe you work in another field, but your job's going well, and it's like, well, it doesn't really impact me. But what if you were? 
Maybe you're going through something. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. In other words, would you feel the pain of another person by putting yourself in their shoes, putting yourself in their place? Some of you have been ministering to families we know in our community or just near our community that are going through horrendous circumstances, and we just learned about another one this morning. The pain, the loss, the grief that's going to these families, we need to pray for them as if we were going through that. That's not easy to do. I know for me it's not easy to do. But that's what God calls us to do. It'll make a difference in our prayer life and how we approach Him. Comfort comes when we can put our mind at rest. And Paul's mind was at rest because he knew whether he lived or died, he would be with Christ. Anxiety comes when I give too much attention to things I can't control. I know that's true in my life. I get anxious when I, I come up against something I can't control. And so what do I do? I have to turn it over to God. Say, God, I need your comfort. I need your strength. I need your help. The help of the Holy Spirit. Abraham could have been very anxious to place his son on the altar. But when he did, the peace and comfort God gave him was because he trusted in God's provision. Place your children and grandchildren in God's hands daily to bring you comfort. Our kids are 1,500 miles away. I have to place them on the altar every day. God, <laughs> I can't see what they're doing. I don't know who they're with. I don't know what's going on. I mean, we talk to them occasionally, obviously, but we still can't know everything. But God, we put them in your hands, and I pray that number six prayer every day. God, bless them, keep them, make your face shine upon them, be gracious to them, turn your face toward them, and give them peace. Do that in their lives, God. That's what God wants us to do. Place your business in God's hands so he can bring comfort to you. Because that's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit was not only given to bring us comfort, he was given to be our counselor because we lack wisdom. The Bible says that we see through a glass darkly. In other words, I can't see past my nose. <laughs> Neither can you. So what do we do? We need counsel. We need understanding. We need insight. And God gives that to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said unto you. That's what he promises us. The actual word for counselor is paraclete in the Greek language. The word para means to come alongside of, to assist, to aid someone, to help them. You heard the word paramedic. Paramedic is someone who comes alongside of someone who needs medical help and attention to assist them. And the Holy Spirit is our paraclete who comes beside us to help us, to counsel us when we need understanding and help. 
And so he brings that to us. He's our advocate. He's our friend. He's our supporter. He's our ally. When we lack wisdom, we can ask God who will give it to us. We have decisions to make. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. We don't have proper judgment to understand the situation, but God does. God sees our hearts, our motives, our intentions, and even, yes, even our ignorance. The Holy Spirit was also given to give us courage. John 15, 26, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You have been with me from the beginning. He goes on to say, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. How do we bear witness? How does Paul bear witness in a prison with courage? the help of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will testify. You will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Because the truth of the matter is, I get fearful when it comes to witnessing sometimes. I become cowardly when it comes to witnessing. And I'm sure you've experienced that as well. I have. I've experienced it. I get convicted that I don't share the gospel enough. It takes courage to stand for Christ in the midst of injustice when you've been mistreated, but Paul did that. The second key that we want to look at that will help us have a great testimony is one great belief and hope to exalt Christ in his body. You see, our belief and hope impact how we think and how we act. What we truly believe what we truly put our hope and trust and faith in will impact how we behave. Paul's life was one of complete commitment and surrender to the Lord. Paul is in prison. His situation looks hopeless. Death is staring him in the face. It's Paul's personal testimony of how a believer is to live his life even in the face of overwhelming circumstances. You see, prison people can be pretty cynical. I've been in prisons. I've talked to people in prison. They can be very cynical people. In fact, they have a victim mentality, many of them. So I went out, I did a little Google search on victim mentality. And I came across a website, I don't know if it's good or not, but they had some interesting things to say about a person with a victim mentality, and I found it on lonerwolf.com. And it said, here are some signs that indicate a person has a victim mentality. Number one, they constantly blame other people or situations for feeling miserable. In other words, they blame other people for how they feel. Number two, they possess... A life-is-against-me philosophy. Three, even when things go right, they find something to complain about. Four, they refuse to consider other people's perspectives when talking about their problems. Five, they have a habit of blaming, attacking, and accusing those they love for how they feel. 
Six, they refuse to analyze themselves or improve their life. Seven, they keep reliving past painful memories that made them feel like a victim. The victim mentality is a prison mentality. Do you feel like a victim? Now, I'll be quick to say there are some people, and you may be even here today, who has been a victim. And that makes me sad because I know people have been victimized. There's no doubt about that. But even with that, there's the grace of God, the power of God, through the power of His Spirit to bring healing and deliverance and help to your situation. Paul says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope. His expectation is his belief. I believe and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. In other words, Paul, even in his situation, is looking ahead to the future with great expectation. It's the idea of being in a security guard tower, the word of this, and they're they're stretching their neck out and they're looking forward. That's not a victim mentality. That's someone who is looking at life saying, God, I want to exalt you in my body so that whether I live or die, Christ is exalted. In other words, it's up to you. My life is in your hands. You decide. I'm just going to decide I want Christ to be exalted. Fixing your attention or a target on an object with concentration, eagerness, intensity, turning your eyes away from everything else and focusing on that one thing, Christ. Nothing else. Paul was falsely accused and this false accusation carried a death penalty. He's on death row, as it were. The one hope that most prisoners have is to be released or to have the death penalty reduced to a lesser punishment. But in the midst of his circumstance, Paul's belief and hope was that he would exalt Christ in his overwhelming circumstance. Now, here's what belief and hope will do in those situations. It will protect our mind. It protects our mind. You see, it's a guard in our mind against doubting and questioning God. We don't see, why isn't Paul saying, and even Andrew Brunson, he was saying, God, where are you? But even though he questioned God, his love for God was still underneath all of the questions and all of the doubts. It's his belief and hope in God. It guards our minds against becoming discouraged and depressed. It guards our minds against becoming complacent or apathetic. It protects us from denying or turning away from God or even falling prey to cursing God. There is a tendency in difficult situations to become so self-absorbed and self-centered to the point that God is pushed to the perimeter of our thoughts to where we barely consider what He might want to do in our lives. The truth of the matter is, our life may be the only Bible some people will ever read. What is being read from the pages of your life? Somebody once said that um, if you were put on trial to give your testimony, and they they were looking at your life, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? 
or con convict me of being a Christian. To call yourself a child of God is one thing. To be called a child of God by those who watch your life is another thing altogether. I don't know who said this, but it's a great quote. Have other people call you a child of God. Paul did not know if he was going to live or die. He only knew that whichever way he got out of prison, he wanted to exalt Christ. If he was to die, he wanted to die with Christ in his heart and on his lips. And if he was to live, he wanted to continue with Christ in his heart and on his lips. He did not want to be ashamed of how he lived his life when he was on his deathbed. He knew that he would face the judgment seat of Christ, and so will we. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Our testimony will be judged, our life. Students, how do you deal with locker room talk? How does that fit in with your testimony? When the guys start using vulgar speech, what does that do to you? When someone pulls up an inappropriate image on their phone, what do you do? When tempted to cheat on an exam because you were too lazy to study, what do you do? The pressure you feel is real. You want to fit in. You don't want to stick out like a stick in the mud. The pressure is designed to test you and your testimony. To test your commitment to Christ to show what is in your heart and what is in my heart. I'm going to cover one more. We're only going to make it through three, I think, but that's okay. The third key to a great testimony is one great focus in life and death, Christ. That has to be our focus. Paul makes two great statements. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul saw his body as a living sacrifice, according to Romans 12.1, that we are a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. That's how he saw his life. He wanted to yield all the parts of his body to Christ. So he tells the Romans, don't present your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We present ourselves to God in view of the fact that Christ has changed our lives. We realize that our life has been purchased by the blood of Christ. He tells us this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God, you're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. What we do with our body is a testimony. For better, for worse. We testify how we use our body.
I testify how I use my lips and my mouth. It's a testimony that comes out in what I say. What I put my eyes to, what I read, what I Instagram, what I Twitter, any of those things is a testimony. What I put down in writing, it's a testimony. I'm either exalting Christ or I'm not exalting Christ. Paul said, I want to exalt Christ. God, I present to you my eyes so that what I read, write, and look at is honoring to Christ. God, I present to you my dating life. Young men to treat young ladies like sisters in Christ. It's a testimony in how you treat a young lady on a date. God, I present my clothing to you for young ladies to dress in a way that demonstrates you want young men to respect you. It's a testimony, a very important one. Paul not only wanted his body to be a testimony, he wanted his mind to be a testimony as well. He wanted his mind to be controlled by Christ-centered thinking. So he says in Philippians 4.8, later in the book, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's what he tells us. Think about these things. So then I ask myself the question, when I attend an event, will my attendance be a help or a hindrance to the cause of Christ? I need to pay attention to the places I go and who I hang around. I give consideration to the purpose of the gathering. Well, we're getting together to have a good time. What does that mean? What does good time mean? Because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What does that look like with these people? Will I be exposed to circumstances that will encourage me to compromise my beliefs? Then I need to think about that. True, honest, just. You see, our purpose in life is to please God, and we please God by living by faith, and we live by faith by godly thinking by being controlled by the truth. And the only way we can do that is I have to rehearse the truth over and over and over. I have to rehearse it. I have to meditate on what is pure and holy. Do I live for money and possessions? Clothes, houses, cars? What happens to those things when you die? Or what happens if you lose it all? Paul's second great statement is, to die is gain. That seems like a paradox. <laughs> to die is what? Gain? Yeah, he's saying, because I'm going to be with Christ. I will not be in a world full of sin and brokenness anymore. There'll be no sorrow, sadness, pain, hurt. Yeah, that's better. Paul did not base his life on all these temporal things. All this stuff will go away. 
I came across a cute little cartoon the other day that had two little birds. They were overlooking a, a, a field. They were up in a tree overlooking a field of crops. And the first bird says to the other bird, is that a human out in the field? The second bird says, no, don't worry. It's just a scarecrow. The first bird says, well, how can you tell? The second bird says, because he's not looking at his phone. Paul was giving up earth for heaven. He gave up his sin for righteousness. He had one great focus in life, to exalt Christ. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, How's your testimony? Is it a great testimony? Is it exalting Christ? Do you have the help of the Holy Spirit? Hopefully the prayers of God's people. Our teenagers need prayer. They have prayer cards out there you to pick up and pray for our teenagers. They need our prayers. I need your prayers as, as a pastor. We need to pray for one another that our love for God would grow because it's out of that love for God that our, our testimony is impacted. What about your belief and hope? Is it to exalt Christ in your body, all parts of your body, your mind, your heart? What about your focus in life, in death? When you're on your deathbed, will you have regrets? Or do you say, no, I'm exalting Christ right now and that's what I want to do when I'm on my deathbed or is there something in your life that you know God is not pleased with and it's time to confess it today and forsake it maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your life to be your Savior and Lord today is the day of salvation Jesus Christ died on the cross that is the gospel for your sin and for mine to pay the penalty because sin requires a a penalty to be paid and the penalty is death, eternal death. And Jesus took death in our place so we could have a personal relationship with God. So if you don't know him, we'd be glad to pray with you after the service so that you can have a personal relationship with God and help you walk in your relationship with God. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org 
more, check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.